I'm going to pray for us and then we are going to jump in. Father, thank you for uh, this new day that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning, Lord, that your compassions never fail. Uh, your faithfulness is indeed great. Uh, Lord, we need, your, we need your help, and we pray that as we gather as a church family this morning that you would use our time together uh, to, uh, to glorify yourself. We pray that you would help us um, in all the, all the things we're doing together as a church family this morning to, to be faithful to your word, uh, to proclaim it with boldness, uh, to give clarity, to give grace. Uh, to you. We pray that you use it all to build us up in faith and ultimately uh, to, to glorify yourself. So would you, uh, to that end, would you help us now as we um, consider discipleship and what it means to follow you and what it means to strive to live lives that are holy. And uh, we pray that you would form us into the likeness of Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for, uh, for those of you guys I've not met, uh, which is very few of you, my name is Chris, and uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, this morning, we're going to, uh, this, this class is uh, the discipleship class, and this morning, we're specifically going to be talking about discipleship and sin. Um, so discipleship as it relates to sin. Uh, yeah, the passage that we have sort of used almost as a, as a theme verse for this class um, has been Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, yeah, is what it's this this particular section is often referred to as Matthew twenty eight eighteen to twenty says and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, so as, we, uh, as we've discussed in previous weeks, uh, making disciples includes, as we just read, baptizing them, so baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it also includes teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has, uh, has commanded to us. So if, if we are making disciples, we are those that we are discipling, we are teaching them, or we're baptizing them, and we're also teaching them everything Jesus has said and that everything Jesus has said should be listened to and obeyed. Uh, so, and as we think about that, inevitably, this, the, the, the fact that teaching is needed, that, that someone doesn't begin by knowing his commands, but needs to know his commands and needs to know what it means to obey him, it also means that we will inevitably, in discipleship, be dealing with sin. Right, because we are dealing with disobedience that needs to be corrected and brought into the uh, into subjection to Jesus. Um, so discipleship involves aiming to see disobedience to Jesus replaced with obedience to Him, uh, which is worship of Him. So the rest of our time, that's all that said. The rest of our time, Matthew eighteen is going to be. A helpful anchor passage for us as we think about how, how we do this in one another's lives. So Matthew 18, 15 to 20 is, uh, is mainly where we're going to camp out today. And uh, if somebody would go ahead and get Matthew, that, that passage, Matthew 18, 15 to 20, uh, and then someone else, if you could get Philippians 2, 
3 and 4. And then let's also have somebody get Matthew 18, 7 through 14. So who could get 15 to 20? That's Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Great. Thank you, Jeff. And then who could get uh, the Philippians 2, 3 through 4? Evan, thank you. And then Matthew 18, 7 to 14. Great. Thank you. Uh, so just when you get those, just sort of hang on to them for a bit. We won't use all of them immediately. Uh, but Matthew 18, 15 to 20, Jesus is going to give us directions here for how we should think about dealing with sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. So let's, let's go Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there, I, there am I among them. Good. Yeah, so uh, in some sense, we, we have here, we have sort of three, a three-step process, right? The f- in, in each of them, uh, each of these steps, at its core, this is, this is a kind of discipline, right? This is a kind of shaping. This is a kind of teaching what it means to follow Jesus, right? So the word, you, you'll notice the similarity between the word discipline and the word disciple, right? To be a disciple is to be one disciplined in what it means to, to follow Jesus. We're aiming in discipleship to steer, uh, to steer people toward obeying Jesus' commands. So it begins here in verse, uh, what do we say, verse 15. I need to get there. We begin in verse 15, and the passage is beginning here with an individual conversation, right? So it's a brother or a sister going to another brother or sister. Uh, this is a, an individual relationship. And, and what does it say? If your brother sins against you, what should you do? Go and tell him. Yeah, go and tell him his fault, right? Who should be there? Just the two of you, okay? Um, go and tell him his fault. Practically speaking, as those who are being formed, uh, as those who do not do this perfectly, what are we tempted to do often? instead of that gossip gossip yeah what else not go not go yeah avoid we can avoid confrontation maybe maybe that means we harbor sort of that that frustration and that bitterness in inside of us um, yeah and, and, and it's almost like a, a cowardly refusal to, to deal with it yeah. Anything else? Maybe uh, talk to the elders first about <coughs> okay. it before telling them. Okay. Actually, actually, a person themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then also, I, I think another another thing is going to be, 
we're tempted to go and and drop a bomb, right? And go and talk to them, and it's it's actually, oh man, this is what all the stuff you did to me, and and just angrily unleash on them, right? So um, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a, in a moment. But what is as you think about all of these responses, what is what is wrong with all of them? That's not the way Jesus taught us to do it, right? He's giving us, he's given us explicit command. So, so on the one on the one hand, it's it's disobedience. Um, secondly, what what else do they reveal? What do these responses reveal in us? Pride, focus on self rather than restoration of the brother or sister. Yeah, yeah. Pride, focus on self. Not aiming for restoration, um, yeah, and, and then and then even, yeah, I think even a, a lack of awareness or a lack of remembrance of the very grace that we have been shown in all the many times that we have wronged Jesus, and what did Jesus do with that? What did Jesus do for us? Well, he went to a cross and laid down his life, right? So that was the extent of how he loved us in the midst of of our sin. Um, yeah, so to, yeah, even to, to maybe get back into, you know, what Cody said about just the heart, the heart of, of desiring restoration. Um, yeah, I think these responses that we're tempted toward, they're also wrong because they, they miss the heart behind why Jesus uh, has actually given this command, right? We're supposed to go and show someone his fault so that, what? What do you see in verse 15? Do you see a, a, maybe a proper motivation there? Gaining your brother. Yeah. The aim is to gain your brother. Uh, the aim is not to point out sin for the sake of pointing it out, for the sake of him knowing that he's, he's, uh, he's, he's failed. The aim is actually to gain him. Right? The aim is, yes, does he, should he know that he's failed? Absolutely. We, we should know those things about ourselves, but we don't, we're not going with the intent of that being the end. The end is gaining our brother. Right? So if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We're not aiming to shame. We're not aiming to justify ourselves. We're aiming to gain our brother. Um, and so even as we think about this in our own our own relationships and what is it what is it how does it usually go when I feel wronged uh, when I feel like someone has or, yeah or or when I just see my brother or my sister actually in sin uh, maybe wronging another brother or sister when I see those things um, yeah what is like what do I see about myself and I would encourage us to ask that question of ourselves and and if we find, hey, you know what? I'm actually not only tempted toward all these other things, I'm actually I'm stepping into those. And I'm, I am grumbling against my brother. And I am harboring self-righteousness and bitterness. And I am actually going unlovingly um, or, or pridefully. I am gossiping um, about them. Then my encouragement would be for us to begin by praying uh, that the Lord would change our own hearts, our own motivations uh, to care first and foremost about his glory rather than our own um, yeah what, what we what we get in these relationships 
our own gain. We, we want to care more about our relationship with the Lord and seeing Him glorified in our relationships. And secondly, we, and, and un, uh, yeah, uh, unable to, like inseparably, I guess is the word I would use, we want to care for the good of our brothers and sisters, right? Our, our aim should be God's glory and the good of our brothers and sisters in all of our relationships, and that includes as we think about dealing with sin, um, yeah, in, in our midst, okay? Chris, so. I think that's a great way to put it in context with the rest of the chapter because the disciples started out by asking who would be the greatest, and I think Jesus is trying to caution them about their pride, like we talked about, warning against temptation, warning against looking down on others, and then teaching how to treat a believer who sins. So this, this certainly starts out, I think, in our own hearts. Um, and like you said, starting out with prayer is, is the best way to start, to ask yourself, should I even be offended by this? Because we should really only be offended if it offends Christ. So if it's something that offended us personally, is it just a pride thing that we have? And maybe there wasn't even any need to approach them in the first place. So I think there's a lot of self-reflection that goes, which is the discipline part, yeah. I think, to recognize, is this just me that has a problem, or is this a person that truly sinned? Absolutely, yeah, That's I completely agree. So uh, let's actually, since you said that, that's a great position. Let's, whoever has Matthew 18, 7 to 14, this, so this directly precedes the section that we're now looking at. So Matthew 18, 7 to 14. Whoever has that, please read that. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels, their angels always see the face of my Father that is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not only the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so remind me your name one more time. Tim. Tim, thank you. Yeah, so as Tim pointed out, the beginning of the chapter, the disciples are asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus proceeds to get in into, hey, here, here's an answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna reframe the whole conversation. But I want what I want you to see is that that the heart of God to, to be God's people is to be marked by humility. And so, so first and foremost, he's he's gonna jump in here in this with the section we just read, uh, and he's gonna talk about sin, right? What is the end of sin? Where does it where does it end? Death. death. Yeah, so sin ends with death. How seriously does Jesus tell us that we should take sin? Very seriously. Very seriously. How seriously? Take yeah. extreme measures. Take extreme measures. Do whatever it takes to wage war against sin. Do it because 
um, what will be more costly than whatever you lose in this life to fight against sin is being thrown into final judgment before God with everything intact. I didn't, I didn't, nothing, uh, yeah, I, I was cost nothing in this life to fight against sin, but that payment is going to come due in the final judgment, right? So Jesus is saying, everything, it, whatever it takes, do it. Wage war against sin. Um, yeah, and, but so we, we know what he thinks about sin, but we also see what is the heart of God toward his children who are ensnared in sin. And he gives us an illustration. What is the illustration? You have a shepherd, right? So the shepherd has a hundred sheep. One sheep strays away. What, is, what does that shepherd do? How much does he care for that one sheep? He's got 99 still in the fold. What, is it, what does he do? He leaves the 99. Yeah, he leaves the 99 in safe pastures, and he goes out after the one who is straying, who is in danger. Um, this is, and, and, then, and then Jesus says, you know, he points out that if, if, if a shepherd then has this kind of compassionate and caring heart toward that one sheep who is in danger, how much greater should we actually understand the, the heart of, the compassion of our God uh, in relationship to his children? We should under, understand his love and his care and his pursuit of those children um, as being far, far superior to uh, the care that that shepherd gives to his sheep. Right, so, yeah, so we have, we have this, um, yeah, this illustration here that helps us think about um, the heart of God and what should our own hearts be like toward God's people. If God has his heart toward his people, what should our hearts be like? same, right? We should have the same desire to see the good of all of his children. Sean, were you going to ask Would they have known, I'm assuming they would have, as Jesus is talking to the disciples, they would have known the story of like Saul and David. I'm assuming. Oh, certainly. Grew up in it yeah, certainly. Oh, yeah. But that the character, like you said, like this is how we should be also. If we're, again, verse 20, gathering in his name, not just gathering together good. Yeah, I didn't even think about So I mean certainly so certainly yes, they're going to know uh, they're going to know these these stories, they're going to know uh, of David who David is and who Saul is. They're going to know all of yeah, all, all of these things. And and so you have the you know that story, but you also have multiple references through the through the prophets um, through the kings of how, yeah, how God should be seen as a shepherd, right? And then Jesus in the Gospels, he's going to call himself, in John, he's going to call himself the good shepherd, right? So, yeah, so I think the illustration is, is always intended, we're, we're to see in the scriptures these, this depiction of this is what a good shepherd looks like, and this is, this is what a, a bad shepherd looks like. But a good shepherd, he cares about his sheep. He goes after him, and all the more, um, yeah, should we see God as that kind of, uh, having that kind of heart for his people. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so, um, 
Yeah, so as we think then about this, this having this kind of heart, all of this precedes Matthew 18, verse 15, which is where we began, uh, which is, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And we've established, uh, you know, as he says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We have established that the aim here is gaining your brother. The aim here is loving the one that you're going after, the one that you're going to. Um, so if my brother sins against me, I should go to him in private. Um, and if he listens to me, I have won him. So as you think about your own relationships, your own conversations, have you, have you ever been on either end of this sort of relationship? I've been on both ends many times. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, in a, in a, um, yeah, in a, in a church that is healthy, how often do you think these kind of interactions are happening? All the time. All the time. Yeah. And why, why do we not know about all of them? Because they're being done right. Yeah, because the aim was for a brother to go privately to another brother, a sister to go privately to another sister, tell them lovingly their fault and win them, and it never needs to develop into anything else, and no one else needs to know about it. Because what's the problem with someone else knowing about it? It becomes, it becomes gossip. It becomes potentially slander, you know. So, um, yeah, we, we assume that these things are happening all the time in a church where relationships are healthy, right? We care about sin, so we're not going to not have these conversations. But we care about the brother and sister, and we're, that's going to frame and guide how we have these conversations. Um, and the reason that we point out the sin uh, is so that our brother or our sister would have sobriety on what is the truth, what are Jesus' commands, and be instructed in their, um, yeah, and encouraged in their pursuit of, of Jesus. Okay. Hebrews three twelve to 13. I didn't ask anybody to get this, did I? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, so here we have a, we have a sober warning uh, and an encouragement, right? The warning is that what could, what could crop up in us is an evil, unbelieving heart uh, that leads us to uh, stop actually aiming to walk with the Lord. Stop actually pursuing Him. Stop actually aiming to obey Jesus' commands. Um, and, and then the encouragement is exhort one another every day. As long as, as long as today is called today, exhort one another so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because what happens when we stop having these conversations and going to, to one another, what happens is we can, we can get caught up in our sin, we can be deceived by it, and then as we continue to step into it and continue to walk into it, what happens is our hearts become hard and it becomes more difficult for us to hear the truth, it becomes more difficult for us to obey Jesus, and our souls are, are in danger. Um, and this is why Jesus, because he loves his people, he's encouraging his people, hey, let's go after one another. Let's not let... Let's not let any one of us get outside the sheepfold. But if one of us does, man, let's let's go after. Let's go.
go after the sheep. Um, yeah, and, and, then, and then a final word I would give. So all of this is framed up because we're using the Matthew 18 passage here. All this is framed up as sort of a, a, a reactive approach to, to going after someone who, who has sinned. Um, but then for our own, our, our own um, yeah, walk of, of being disciples, we should also not wait until someone comes and, and pursues us about our sin, right? What should we be doing? Yeah, we should regularly confess our sins to one another because we see here the danger of sin. We see what happens when we're not honest about it. We should confess our sins with one another so that we may be healed. It's James, James 5, 16, I believe. Um, yeah, and, and so I would just encourage us, let's be proactive. Let's, let's take responsibility for confessing our own sins. This is part of being a, a disciple. This is part of following Jesus is that we are aiming to put off what is earthly in us. We are actively taking ownership of that. We're aiming to put off what is earthly in us and aiming rather to put on what is like Jesus. Okay. Um, I think this, so I have a quote here from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He has this section at the end of his book, Life Together, uh, 10, 12 pages. Uh, it is on the value of confession of sin and it is, it is excellent. So you want some encouragement on why? why you should confess sin and what the value of it is, um, man, read, read that. But this is, this is a quote. He says, Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. Because, the because this humiliation is so hard, we continually scheme to avoid it. Yet, in the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation, before a brother, we experience our rescue and salvation. Yeah, so I, I think it's so excellent. And I don't know about you guys, I've certainly experienced this in, in my own life where, man, just confessing sin to an, another uh, person has helped me to have the right kind of sobriety about my own sin and helped me to flee it. And in that moment, not only does it give you sobriety and help you to run from it, you actually, you actually experience this wonderful, it has been my experience that, that I've experienced this wonderful um, yeah, being received by that brother, being received by that sister, having a tangible reminder of, oh, that's what, this is what God's grace looks like. Oh, this is what God's mercy looks like. And I get to experience that tangibly from another brother or sister. And I think God has made it this way so that we would both be sobered and also be encouraged and also be reminded day after day after day that, hey, my righteousness is not actually in me. It never has been. It is in Jesus. And thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, for helping, uh, helping me to remember that. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, we, we need others to help us, right? We're, we're, Jesus is telling we need to go after others because they need our help. And at the same time, as a disciple, we want to teach each other, we want to encourage each other that we, we need to take individual ownership of, of ourselves as well, right? We need to be proactive both in killing our own sin and helping our brothers and sisters to kill their sin as well. But then sometimes that happens, 
right? We, we step into that, we, we have a conversation, and sometimes that, that conversation, even when done well, done right, um, maybe there's many of them, maybe there's, we have step 1A and step 1B and step 1C, and we have a series of conversations, we're not seeing any, any fruit of, of repentance. So sometimes um, that brother is more hardened in the sin uh, and extra weight is needed, right? Extra, an extra bit of sobriety is needed. And that's where um, yeah, Jesus then goes on to, to tell us in verse 16 uh, that if a brother or sister doesn't listen, then you should take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Uh, so now we're not, we're not one, we are two or we are three. And we are going to this, this brother who has not turned away from sin and we're, we're trying together to, uh, to um, yeah, help encourage uh, him to, to turn away. So the language of two or three witnesses establishing a charge uh, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, this is going to be rooted in Deuteronomy 19.15. Uh, it's about establishing any accusations that are brought up uh, according to the law um, by the evidence of, of multiple witnesses, right? By the evidence of two or three. And so, so here, the word of one is not going to suffice. This is going to do two things, right? It's going to, on the one hand, bring an extra weight of, hey, I have multiple voices that are all aligned and telling me the same thing and reminding me of the same truth. So there's, there's, extra, there's extra help there. Um, yeah, the hope is that it produces extra sobriety, extra encouragement. Um, but then secondly, it's also establishing, uh, it, it's setting the stage for if that brother continues to not turn away, then the next step, which we'll talk about in just a moment, um, yeah, the next step is gonna be taking it to the church. And when we take it to the church, and the church is going to um, also give the same encouragement and uh, yeah, and, and, and function in some sense as a um, as as a court uh, in in deciding what well, we have the evidence not of one person's word but of multiple people's word. Okay, so yeah, again, what is the aim here? When we go, when two two or three of us go together to that brother. And, and, and encourage them to uh, turn away from their sin, what is the aim? Restoration. Restoration. The aim is, as Jesus said in verse 15, to gain your brother. Okay, that's what it's about. I think at that point, Chris, we also need to stop and pray. Um, I've had situations where I did step one and was convicted not to do step two because... The sin was against me personally. It wasn't something that was going to tear down the body of Christ. It would have probably maybe just created more problems than it would have solved. Yeah. Um, and so I just chose to, okay, this person chose not to uh, accept what I told them. But unless I see that it's pervasive or is affecting other people, that's just something I'm just going to have to forgive and, and yeah. move on. Um, so I don't think it's necessary to move because that's like the point of no return. Once you start bringing other people into it, then there's going to be resolution one way or the other, and it's probably going to fracture a relationship. Yeah, or it's going to work and restore a relationship. So just I, I think at every point we stop and pray. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, wisdom is needed, right? So you know, if if that person is hardened and continually offending 
members of the church and like there there is a time where we have to sort of go hey you know this is for their good actually like they they have to deal with this thing um, but that's where I, I think it's a really good point that's where also the fact that you have multiple voices in the conversation now uh, they can actually not only help and help help uh, show the fault of the other brother, but they can help you get your own. And if you're actually stepping into this with self-righteousness, or this isn't your aim, uh, to, to actually gain your brother, like that, that's where the extra voices can actually help, um, help, help with you or, or me or what, whoever's going to that brother. Okay, so that's, that's a really good point. Hey, Chris, uh, yeah. follow up on that question. Uh, would it be at this point then like a wise general practice So in, in doing this, is it, is it okay, and Jesus says, go and tell the brother his fault, is it okay to talk to an elder, one of your pastors, about what that looks like? I think yes. I think it's okay to do that. I think you have to gauge your own heart in that, right? So if you're going to that elder so that you can gossip, um, if, if that's your heart, is you're actually frustrated at them and you just want to vent, an elder that's different you know if you can go to the elder and say hey look I feel like I want to vent um, this is this is the posture of my heart like I, I I want to confess that I know that's sinful I need some help I need some encouragement I think that's okay um, so I just yeah I want to encourage us like it is it is good to talk to other other mature um, members other mature spiritual authority about how to do this well um, and how to help you have wisdom in a situation. Um, I would encourage you to do that, not before, uh, but after praying. Uh, and, then, uh, and then check your heart in the way that you're approaching that elder or, or that spiritual, um, yeah, that mature brother or sister. Yeah. So, is that helpful? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Cody, did you add anything to that? I thought where he's going with that actually was um, when you bring the two or three or the one or two um, that they're more spiritually mature than you um, when you get to that point you know so you're not bringing somebody that's not necessarily going to be helpful certainly you, you go to somebody maybe someone in leadership position in the church because they know well the next step is going to be we're going to take this to the whole church so yeah and then that's the person that can say hey check yourself because it may be you that has you know the, the yeah yeah, that's that's a really good point too. I mean, we're not trying to grab two or three of our our buddies to be yes men just to side with us. I mean, that's that is absolutely the opposite of what Jesus is aiming for here. Um, and so again, like you'll notice that that in all, in all these things we're talking about, you'll notice that one of the main keys here is how is my how is my heart engaging the obedient thing that Jesus is is calling me to do. 
right? What is the manner in which I'm obeying Jesus? Like, am I, am I doing it to check the box outwardly, but my heart is actually not aligned with what Jesus' intent is? Well, that's, yeah, that's, this, is, this is where we need to be formed. This is where we need to be, um, yeah, bringing that into a, a real, yeah, into subjection to a, a, a heart that loves Jesus, that loves his glory, that loves his people. And if that's not the aim, man, let's pray that, that Jesus would work in us, that his spirit would work in us to convict us of our sin and to help us to grow in that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think you're right, like, in prayer, like, discern who, who the right one or two or three is to, to go to your brother with. Um, yeah. And I just, I think, like, as just a consideration, it may be harder for some people, like, they may, they may be more resistant in their pride if they see, like, oh, well, this person's, like, getting the elders involved instead of, like, trying to handle this, um, I don't want to say, like, at a lower level, but, um, yeah. I certainly agree. Yeah, so again, this is why you're getting an elder involved, how you're getting an elder involved, how an elder is getting involved, like all of it, all of it matters, right? So often, I can't tell you how often somebody shares something with me and I'm like, have you talked to them yet? <laughs> Go and talk to them, you know? Um, but let me, like, you know, maybe as you navigate that conversation, uh, yeah, here's here's some things I would think about, and here's some things I would I would maybe uh, pray about in your own heart. Uh, for for, but my intent is I don't ever want to be I don't want that person to ever know that I was even part of the conversation. I want to help shepherd this person wisely to pursue reconciliation. Um, yeah, does that make sense? So, but I I think you're I think you're right. Like again, this is not a means of. Oh, I'm gonna go tell an elder this thing so I can get the elder involved, and maybe they'll put some extra, you know, some extra, you know, heat here. Like that's not, yeah, we're not not aiming for that either. Yeah. Um, okay. Step that's step two. Sometimes step two also doesn't it doesn't produce the fruit uh, that that is in keeping with repentance in that brother or in that sister. So. Uh, Jesus says, uh, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, that is the two or three, tell it to the church. Uh, And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what do we typically call this step of this process? Church discipline, right? This is, now it's not just an individual helping to disciple. It's the church uh, aiming to disciple. It's the church aiming as a, yeah, as a body to bring, uh, yeah, to bring sobriety, right? To bring, uh, to bring the truth. Uh, there's a real sense here of, of seriousness. Um, and then if, if that brother or sister still, even after telling it to the church and the church calls this person to repent, um, and, and that person does not repent, how should, uh, how should we treat that person? Like a church visitor. Like a church visitor. That's good. That's right. Church visitor. So we have no idea if they actually know the Lord, right? Um, at, at this stage, 
because we've gone through all this these these steps and we've not seen any fruit now we're going hey you know what we need to interact with this person as though they don't know the Lord which means what does that mean they can't come to our church anymore do we want them to come to our church yeah absolutely uh, because what happens when they come to our church they hear the God's word yeah we, we our prayer is that they would actually hear God's word that they would see the love of our, our fellowship our body they would know they would tangibly see the love of Jesus and uh, that they would um, they would actually turn away from from their sin um, and yeah I guess another question would be if, if that person repents after you know after this process and that person repents do we want this person to come back and join us be part of our body absolutely we do yeah so you know takes wisdom takes uh yeah we're looking for evidence of repentance um but yes that's that is our desire so as you think about that process what is a can you think of an example in the scriptures where this was actually carried out good now this is now paul and peter though would you say that's the church Okay. So I think it'd be. Yeah. Did, what did what what was wrong with Peter? Well, Peter not living the gospel by eating with only Jews and Gentiles around. Yeah. Yeah. And why did that instance need to be public? Because there was a public sin. It was done, and there was an influencing others. Others were living in accord. Yeah. Yeah. It was a distortion. It was a public distortion of the gospel, and so so Paul rebuked him according to or at least in the in the venue of the very place where that distortion was made so it's giving a correction uh, and Peter of course responds well like you would hope a brother would um, good so uh, yes you can First Corinthians 5 that's where we're going next brother well probably not brother who had his stepmother Stepmom is sleeping around her. Um, they seem to skip some steps. Um, is it like super flagrant sin? Like this is we just can't be around this at all. We're gonna go straight to discipline. What are your thoughts on that? Certainly flagrant. Um, what what else? What else do you? Uh, what, what else characterizes it? Right, it's flagrant, it's immoral, all that stuff. Is it, is it public? It's public. So everyone seems to know about it already. Um, the church is tolerating it. Paul calls them arrogant. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of evidence here that everyone actually knows about this and nothing is being done about it, right? So, which, which also means, do you think this has just happened yesterday? No, it's it's ongoing and it's been going for some time and there's there's been time for repentance and it's it's not happening. Uh, so let's actually let's look at the passage because that's where that's where I was I was hoping uh, for us to go next. So First Corinthians five one through five. Someone read that for us. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you, a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. 
and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For although I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Through which verse? Through five. Okay. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to, to deliver this man to Satan for the, for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Hmm. All right, so sexual immorality, it's being openly committed, right? So everyone, everyone seems to know about this. Um, it says a man has his father's wife. It's being tolerated by the church, right? So as though the, the church is, is functioning as though allowing this thing to remain in their midst is not going to harm them, Right? This is, this is why Paul is going to say that in these verses that they are arrogant. Verse 2, uh, he says it again later. Uh, what should they be doing about this sin? What should their, what should their heart be about it? They should be grieved by it. They should be mourning, uh, he says. Okay, They should remove, Paul says, they should remove this man from among them. Um, again, that is, as, as Andrew said, that is they should treat him as a church visitor. Like he's not, we don't see him as being one of us because of how he, how his life is, is marked. Um, Jesus, you know, back in Matthew 18 said they should treat him as a, a Gentile and a tax collector. That's what that means. Um, when they're assembled in the name of Jesus, they should do what? Remove him, which is also doing what? Delivering. Says, says deliver him over, deliver this man to Satan. Right? Again, how do they deliver him to Satan? By removing him from their church. Right? Um, and then Paul says the aim of their removing him, their aim of their delivering him over to Satan is what? What does the text say? So that his spirit may be saved. That's right. For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Right? So the hope here is this man is removed from the church. He is, is free now to headlong without anyone saying anything else to him uh, or at least the, the you can't remove him anymore from the church so he doesn't he's not going to lose the church uh, the church's fellowship so the hope is that he's going to taste now the emptiness of jumping headlong into a sin the destruction of his flesh um, and uh, he's going to feel the loss of the church's fellowship in a way that may yet may in the end actually point him to the goodness of Jesus and actually point him to uh, his need for Jesus. That in the end, he may actually trust in Jesus and repent for, from his sin. So even, even church discipline, the aim is what? Restoration. Restoration. The aim is gaining a brother. Um, has anyone been at a church before coming here that practiced church discipline? Yeah, so it looks like many of us. Um, 
Yeah, we were when I was uh, when I was in in Texas before moving here. We uh, yeah, sadly had a had an instance of church discipline that our church had to carry out, and there was a um, there was another pastor in the area at another church who yeah heard we were doing this, and you know his his comment was, "Man, you should never discipline someone out of the church. It's the most unloving thing you can do." To which. My pushback would be, that's actually the most loving thing you can do. Um, if, he is, if he is set on pursuing his sin, he is set on uh, yeah, not following Jesus, not having sobriety, the most loving thing you can do is actually give him sobriety and be clear about what it means to be a Christian and what it means uh, and what it doesn't mean to be a Christian. Okay. What are... If we don't practice church discipline, what is what is the cost of that? It's like you're affirming sin. You're affirming sin. Who is who is that bad for? Everybody. I mean, it's bad for that individual. Okay. And then it's, yeah. it's bad for the church. Why is it bad for the church members? Corruption. And they're saying that, like, maybe feeling that that sin is Yeah. Oh, so, oh, man, nothing's going to happen to me if I do this sin. I'm going to... This must not be a big deal. Yeah. Who, what else is it bad for? The world. You know, they were showing them that this is okay and following Christ. Oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. So we distort the gospel. And then, and then lastly, glory of Christ. the glory of Christ. It, it slanders the name of Jesus. It slanders who he is and who he's revealed himself to be. Yeah, so, so this, this, this is, um, you know, we, again, this class, we're talking about discipleship. This is one of, this is one of the means of discipling uh, one another as Christians. This is a, a tool that is given to the church uh, to, um, yeah, to help us, help us make disciples. Right, so what is, so church discipline, what does it do? Well, it, it gives Boundaries, right? So if membership is this, oh, we know who's in and we know who's not in. And membership define, helps us define who we are. What does what does church discipline do? It gives it gives structure. It gives a boundary to um, yeah to hold up. Oh, this is what the gospel is. This is this is what it means to live as people who believe the gospel. Um, you know, so if you take you know becoming a member and, and thinking about what it is that we do uh, as a church. Membership, the way that we yeah, the way that we practice membership as a church, it's really about obeying the Great Commission, right? Membership is, is our way of organizing. This is how we can best make disciples in the way that Jesus has called us to. This is how we can best uh, know who, who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. And there, there are several things that work together to do that. Right, so if membership is about discipleship, well, baptism is the first act of obedience for a Christian. It's it's the act that Jesus has commanded, so we can go, oh, that person obeys Jesus' commands, and their profession of faith is is faithful. They they believe the gospel. Well, they're they're in. They're one of us. Baptism is is the way into membership. Well, then those on the inside, those who are members of the church gather and have fellowship around the preaching of God's word. Um, we help one another to uh, endure in believing God's word, to grow in uh, and to grow in applying God's word. 
we take the Lord's Supper as a symbol of our ongoing, our, our perpetual union with Jesus and with one another in Him. Uh, and then church discipline, what it does is it, it functions to define the boundaries of that church membership and, and to remove sin, uh, which does not belong. Uh, now, that removal of sin is bringing repentance and bringing in and confessing it. And, but when those things don't happen, it has to be removed in another way, right? And that is what church discipline does. Um, last example, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. We're running short on time, so I'm going to read this. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, this is, uh, this is Paul's next letter, right? Uh, so we were just in 1 Corinthians, now we're in 2 Corinthians. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So a few notes here. Someone has caused pain it's, it's, it, Paul's, it's evident from what Paul's saying. Someone has caused pain to the Corinthian church through their sin, right? The reason I'm saying through their sin they've caused pain was because Paul's calling them to forgive this person, um, which if you have forgiveness, because you've had sin. Um, secondly, the majority has punished this man in some way. And for there to be a majority, what does that also imply? There's a hole, right? There's a hole. Yeah, so yes, church discipline, but who does it? The majority has done this, uh, but it also implies for there to be more than half, then you have a hole, right? And you know, but it's, but it's not just a hole. It's a defined hole. You know, you know who it is, okay? Thirdly, the punishment that has been given to this man, it was a result of what? Of sin, right? Fourthly, uh, the punishment... Uh, provided discomfort for him. Um, so this is his experience with it. And then his punishment, if not turned away from, could lead this man to being overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Right? So we can, we can at least assume that he, is, he has some measure of sorrow over his sin. Um, and to not receive him back, to not forgive him, would overwhelm him with excessive sorrow. Right? It would destroy him. So, Paul says, the punishment is enough. Uh, so, this punishment should not have the final say, and what should replace it is forgiveness. A reaffirmation, he says, reaffirm your love for him. Um, and, and then he closes these, these verses, uh, yeah, to not forgive, in, at least in this instance, instance, to not forgive this man would mean being outwitted by Satan. So, the aim of the church's punishment, it was to do what for this man? It was to see what in him? Yeah, a broken and contrite heart through which uh, would come restoration. Yeah. 
which I, I think is amazing. Like even in, in these passages, what you see is the heart of God uh, coming through and desiring. We, we don't, our, our aim is never to, uh, to punish people as an ultimate end. Our aim is to see people know the truth about God and to treasure Him for who He is, to know His mercy and compassion, but also to know His, His holiness and that He is set apart and that He is good in every way. And so that people would, uh, would know Him and trust Him and desire to be like Him and worship Him with their lives. And so, uh, yeah, so Jesus, uh, Jesus stands ready to forgive and restore in the same way as His people so should so should we. Um, and, and we should always remember as we are discipling others as Christians, we always disciple them as those who have been forgiven much. Okay. Does anybody have a question? Emily. Yeah, so your even even the prayer, even the aim of it is what? Restoration. Restoration. So yeah, I think it, it certainly it could come either way. Like it could come from that heart too. Yeah. And and it that's part of what that's part of the Lord uses broken circumstance. He uses the ruining of our lives to teach us who he is and teach us to run to Him, and teach us that only He is sufficient. So can we pray, Lord, whatever it takes, my desire is that they would know You and turn away from this sin? Absolutely. I think it's a, I think it's a, a wonderful prayer. It's a, it's a scary prayer, you know. Um, and our, our, I, I think even as we pray that, even saying, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't take the worst thing imaginable, but whatever it takes, that's my desire. I don't want to see them have pain. I want to see them end up knowing you. No. Any other questions? Great. Um, I'm happy to talk after if anyone does have questions. Um, Sean Jones, would you pray for us? Sure, yeah. Father, you continue to, um, to bring us underneath your authority. And as you do so, uh, you are merciful and show us grace and mm-hmm. remind us that when we do gather in your name, uh, we are coming under your authority and hope, um, and in, I would assume, restoration of our souls uh, as we move forward uh, to be with your people uh, and to be available for those that you've called to yourself and that may not yet know you. Continue to love us as we know that you do uh, in such ways that we are um, encouraged, in such ways that we are able to take that um, and forward it to those that are that are in our care. Thank you for being a wonderful shepherd uh, and for smelling like us. <laughs> and for cleansing us. Amen. Thanks everyone. <laughs>